Give us an update of how things are going uh, and what's going on at the zoo these days. Yeah, well, I, I got to tell you, it's been it's a very exciting time at the zoo, especially coming off of last year that was you know so uncertain. Um, we had to pivot to a lot of different things last year. We did a lot more virtual programming, uh, more so than we'd ever done before. Um, but I think we learned a lot. And this year, um, it's been really satisfying. We've seen uh, people coming back to the zoo uh, in great numbers. I think our attendance is up 20% over 2019. Um, it's probably up 50% over 2020, certainly. But um, And the feedback we're getting from people who come, we, we survey people, um, guests who arrive um, and spend time here. And what we hear from guests repeatedly is, uh, well, first, how beautiful the zoo is. We've done a lot of improvements. So we can talk about that. But really how safe people feel. I think people really like having an environment that's outside. And we have so much programming for young families, young, young children particularly, that um, we've, we've seen guest satisfaction scores uh, remarkably high. So there's just a lot going on here. Um, and we're really, really excited about the future as well. Were you forced to close due to COVID? We were. We had planned to close a little bit. Um, we usually open up in March, depending on the weather, of course. In mm-hmm. January and February, we're closed. I mean, we are a state park, so the zoo actually is open in January and February, but um, the gates are open and it's free admission. Most of the animals are not in their habitats, not on display. Um, but we open up in March. We had planned to close in the month of April because we were doing some construction on a new uh, habitat called Madagascar, uh, which did open up later in the year. But then COVID hit. And um, we were not able to open up till middle of June. So we lost two and a half months of revenue um, from, from visitations. And beyond that, and probably even more impactful, was our education programming, uh, traveling zoo, camps, that sort of thing, were virtually shut down. Uh, so from a revenue perspective, we were in a world of hurt. And I mean, a lot of companies and businesses were. were I know we weren't alone in that regard. Um, but we did manage to come through. Um, with the help of a lot of grants and um, low-interest business loans that we got from the federal government, which was remarkably helpful. Um, we didn't have to furlough any staff. Everyone stayed on because at the end of the day, you know, the animals still need to be cared for. I mean, uh, we're a relatively small operation, but, you know, we run kind of thin, uh, lean anyway. So it was tough, but we managed to get through. We managed to get through. You mentioned some of your programming went virtual because of that. Uh, is there anything that's holding over? Any lessons learned because of what you've gone through that you've been able to implement to, to make the zoo better? Yeah, that's a, that's a really spectacular question. Um, we learned a lot. I think we've learned that there is an increased demand for virtual programming. We, re, we were really able to pull it off, and we were able to pull it off in large part because, A, we have the content. I mean, we have the the um, subject matter experts here who can, who can speak to it. So that's, that's, you know, the critical factor number one. But with the help of a number of grants, including the Chichester DuPont Foundation, we were able to secure funding that allowed us to go into uh, schools, particularly Title I schools, that don't have the funds, for the most part, to, to pay for programming. We were able to subsidize that programming. And what we found is that the demand is there largely because, you know, typically, you know, in the good old days, of, you know, two years ago, schools would do field trips and come down to the zoo. And we still encourage that. We still want to do that. And we've done some of that. Um, and expect to do more of that. But we find that um, it's expensive for schools to do that. It's not just our fees, but they've got to take the kids out of school and get buses, and it takes a lot of time. And what we found is that even though um, we're expecting schools to be operating on a more normal schedule this year, um, we found that the, the demand for uh, virtual programming where we bring our, our animals into the classroom virtually uh, 
has great appeal, not only to schools, but to libraries and senior centers. So, um, well, I guess we thought intellectually, we figured that might be of interest. I don't think we anticipated it to be at the level of interest that we've, we've subsequently found it to be. So we will continue that for sure. You mentioned some improvements, including the new Madagascar habitat. Tell us about that. Well, that's spectacular. Um, I don't know if you've been here to see it. It's at the far end of the zoo where the llamas used to be. Um, the state um, of Delaware ponied up a lot of money, uh, I think excess of $5 million to develop that particular habitat. We've got three species of uh, lemurs down there. We've got radiant tortoises. We have guinea fowl. Um, and um, the pavilion itself is really a very beautiful building. Um, it's open on three sides, a big glass viewing window looking into the habitat where you can see the lemurs. The lemurs come right up to the windows very often to see our guests. Um, and what's, what's good about that habitat from our perspective beyond just a spectacular viewing session, uh, a place for people to see the, the, the animals, um, we also use, we, we can rent it out. So we've done yoga with lemurs on uh, Saturday mornings. We've done a bat mitzvah down there. Um, we, um, we're, it's open for cocktail parties and small weddings. So it's from a venue perspective, it's really a beautiful place to, to have a social outing, um, as well as a, a spectacular place to, to view some really spectacular animals. These lemurs are very engaging. They're real people really love them and they, they love people. I'm interested in the thinking behind opening a Madagascar habitat. Was it the opportunity to get the lemurs and then you went from there? Or was it, this is something we want to do, let's find the proper animal? Which came first, the chicken or the egg on this? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, honestly, Chris, I wasn't here when that decision was made. I don't know that I really know the answer to that question. But I can tell you that um, the lemurs are very, very popular. And they're, um, it's, it's, I think the whole Madagascar story is such an important one to tell the conservation efforts going on on the Madagascar. In fact, we're having a, um, a VIP reception on the 17th of September. We're having our big annual fundraiser on the 17th of September, Friday night from five to eight. We're calling it lemurs and loggers. Um, and um, people can come and, and, and celebrate uh, Madagascar in general. And, and we have lots of activities planned for kids and adults. But earlier that afternoon, we're having um, a VIP reception for uh, benefactors and donors of, of the zoo because we're kicking off a capital campaign for a new expansion of the zoo, the out front, uh, the new entryway. And um, as part of the celebration of what we've already accomplished with an eye towards the future, we've reached out to the Embassy of Madagascar and they're sending uh, the Charge Affair. Uh, the, um, the Madagascar Embassy to the U.S. is coming up with a delegation from, uh, from the embassy to help us celebrate uh, all that we've accomplished so far with, uh, with an eye towards the future. So, um, well, I don't know particularly why Madagascar was selected as a, as a habitat. I will tell you it's remarkably popular. And the story of conservation, which is critical to what we, how we view our role in the world of not just animal care and education on animals, but general conservation in the world, uh, is, a, is a really good story. Yeah, and truly a VIP reception there. Um, yes, absolutely. You talked about the future. What does the future hold for the zoo? Well, the most immediate future is our, our phase three of our, of our expansion. We're in the process of completing phase two, which is the Madagascar habitat we just talked about, as well as a, an animal care center, which is under construction right now. It's just to the, on, the, on the Monkey Hill side of the zoo. We're essentially putting in a, 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 a hospital, if you will, uh, to care for the animals. Uh, and that's, that's going to be completed this, this fall. 
Now the next phase is going to be an entryway, which is going to be from the current entrance of the zoo, pushing out towards um, uh, Van Buren Street and, and North Park Drive in that little area right in front. We're going to be putting in a new entryway that's going to be much more accessible, handicap accessible accessibility, which is very important to us, um, as well as building a new entranceway and a new um, South American wetlands habitat, uh, which will include, among other uh, animals, Chilean flamingos, which are very popular and very cute. Um, I saw some down when I was um, visiting in the Bahamas. We'll have Chilean flamingos. Those, those were not Chilean flamingos, but flamingos are very, very popular. Um, so we'll be having that habitat. Uh, and we should be, we've got the funding started for the construction um, design work. And uh, we'll be doing um, a reach out to the community, corporate community foundations, as well as the public. Um, we're kicking it off on the 17th of September, introducing it to people. And it's going to be a, a two-year, two to three-year program where we're looking to generate or raise rather $5 million in support of that. So it's, it's a big endeavor, but um, I, I know we're up to the task. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, give us the logistics, the hours when you're open, uh, admission, that sort of thing. Plus, uh, if anyone's interested in attending the fundraiser on the 17th, how do they get involved with that? So it's terrific. Well, we are open every single day of the week, um, and we're open from 10 a.m. till 4 uh, p.m. The last reservation is at 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, so the gates close at 4, so that's, that's every day. Um, uh, for adults, it's $7. For children, it's $5. Kids under 3, it's free to come to the zoo. Um, if you're a member, um, you can join. You can get a family membership, and then your your uh, visits are, are free. Um, but the fundraiser, um, which is going to be a spectacular event on Friday, September 17th, from five to eight, called Lemurs and Loggers. Um, you can go to brandywinezoo.org to purchase your tickets. We do expect it to be sold out. We had a series of evening events this year, which are much smaller than what this Lemurs event is going to be. We call them sip and strolls on Wednesday nights. And uh, the, the public reaction was terrific to that. We got many, many, many were sold out. Um, so I do encourage people to get the tickets. I, we'd hate to turn people away. Um, there's going to be a, we can't put more than 400 people in here because of capacity concerns around COVID and whatnot. We need spacing. Um, so I do encourage people, if they're interested, to, to buy the tickets early. We've gotten uh, well over 200 tickets already sold, and we still have another week and a half, two weeks to go. So there'll be a, there'll be a surge to buy tickets towards um, towards the end, I'm sure. Let's hope so. Brandywinezoo.org is the website, correct? That's correct. Mark Schaefer, Delaware Zoological Society. Uh, Mark, I, I mean, I have to tell you, I, I visited several times. It's a great afternoon with or without the kids, really. Um, and it sounds like you've got some exciting things happening. So best of luck to you moving forward. I thank you so much. I appreciate this. And um, I'd hope to see you and, and all your listeners out to the zoo at any time. We'd, we'd love to welcome uh, the, the local folks over here.